and welcome back to another episode of the All the Hype podcast. Thank you all for tuning in once again. Today, I'm joined by the Off the Ball Network's very own Vice President, Mo Murphy, the creator and host of the Up in Flames podcast. Welcome, Mo. How are you doing today, bro? Uh, you know, I'm good, bro. You know, like I said, um, definitely been like a link up in the making ever since, you know, you joined the network. I wanted to get with you and talk some hoops. So we making it happen now. Yes, sir. I'm super stoked to have you on the show, man. Like you said, been wanting to get you on for, for the longest time now, but happy we eventually got to it and we get to work. I always like to start with a little bit about you. So can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and the Up in Flames podcast? You've always had some diverse, incredible kind of guests, very knowledgeable on your show. So talk to me a little bit of your podcasting journey as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the compliment, bro. I, I do what I can, but um, yeah, bro, I started my podcast March of 2020, so March of last year. Mm. Um, Basically, bro, like, I, I got to give a shout out to, you know, the guy on the network, Rob Cruz. Um, If it wasn't for him, bro, on the Football Chill podcast, I would have never started it. He right. had started his own podcast. We, uh, we in the military together. And uh, we played on the same flag football team, bro. We got real tight, you know. Um, and then basically, bro, I seen he had a podcast, hit him up. It's like, bro, I would love to. He's like, dang, I didn't think you'd be interested like that. I'm like, bro, I love talking sports. And then from there, you know, he kind of, um, he basically got me like, bro, you should start your own. And, and it wasn't in a, like, I'm tired of having you on mine. We did plenty right. of good episodes together. It was just like, bro, you could do this too, mm-hmm. you know. So I went and got the laptop, got the mic. Uh, and started getting things going. Uh, it's it's taken off um, a lot. I guess you could say a lot faster, right. or even a lot bigger than I had plans on. Uh, it's not like it's the biggest podcast in the world or nothing, but I mean, from what I started, is like I feel like where I'm at now is like I dreamed of being here. Definitely, if you would have told me this is where I would be a little over a year after starting the podcast, all the stuff we've had um, from starting a network with Chris. You know, the president of Off the Ball Network, starting a network, him basically calling me personally. I was like, you know, we were we were doing – he was a consistent guest when I first started. Uh, I was on his. He was on mine multiple occasions. We could just hit each other up. And it got to be like a duo. And then he calls me, calls Jeff, and he's like, basically, bro, I want y'all to be my right-hand man. I want to start a network. Right. I see other people doing it. People are interested in me, like him going there. He's like, man, I'd rather start my own. There's, a, there's some quality guys out there. And that's kind of when the small, you know – Band of Brothers started off the ball network, obviously led by the president, Chris, the, the creator mm-hmm. of the network. But it was uh, me, Couch Coach, Rob, Jeff. Uh, Steven came on pretty quickly. Um, the OGs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Jelani. Like, them was basically, you know, the beginning. It was just a few of us. People seeing what we were doing. Some of our guests who had worked with us was real interested. And then now it turned into what it is now. And it's not. You know, I don't want to downplay it. It's not the biggest of big time, but, you know, for a network to only be about six or seven months old, bro, we, we've done a lot of great things over there. Absolutely. Oh, well, awesome, man. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work and what you've been doing on Up in Flames and, of course, all you do for the Off the Ball Network. So it's definitely a pleasure having you on the show today. It'll be, I hope, the first of many future collaborations as well. So, of course, everyone go check out the Up in Flames podcast listen to the recent episodes, and of course, visit the Off The Ball Network website for articles, news, and stories. All right, now let's get into these playoffs. 
On my last episode, I did a playoff preview with the Six Men podcast. Uh, shout out to those guys. And today with Mo, we're going to be touching on the series that have happened and are close to being finished. We absolutely need to start with discussing the poor, immature, and really disgusting behavior from the fans in these arenas. There's probably another hundred adjectives to describe what's been going on. It seems like this whole first week to two weeks of the playoffs, we've had constant unacceptable behavior from fans, almost as if they see what happens and they almost want to like outdo the other person that, and, you know, become the center of attention. We had the issue with Russell Westbrook leaving the game with an injury and a Sixers fans pouring popcorn on him in New York. We had someone actually spit on Trey young and someone threw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving in Boston and another fan stormed the court in Washington. He didn't really do anything that was directed toward another player, but it's still something, you know, you don't do when you go to a game. And of course, we always hear about the derogatory, disrespectful, racist comments and remarks that fans make at players and at their families too. You know, we heard the things that Utah fans were saying to John Morant's family, and, you know, they're just terrible and completely uncalled for. What do you make out of all this, Mo, and seeing everything that's been going on these last few weeks? I mean, the problem is, bro, these um these fans feel entitled. Right. They feel somewhat entitled because they spend their money um, and their hard-earned money. You know, uh, all these fans are working, provided for their families. So shout out to them for that. But they feel entitled. They feel like their money really means something. Right. Um, and, and it doesn't. At the end of the day, I, I can't remember what coach. I think it was Quinn Snyder that said, you know, we don't need you. Like, we don't need your money. Stay at home if you're going to act like that. Mm -hmm. um it's bad for the league because the whole thing is is you know and, and i can speak you know don't want to necessarily always bring race but like well a lot of the players are black and you know a lot of the fans just happen to be white and it's, it's mm -hmm. just the way the the economics of the country is set up and that's just what it is you know and the athletes are minorities for the most part guys from overseas and things like that and basically you know, racism still exists in America. We know that, but they feel entitled. They feel like the fans feel untouchable when really the players should be untouchable. Right. There should be no reason that you have access, even people on courtside seats. And typically that's celebrities. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, basically people who have interactions with a lot of these athletes, they hang together, the celebrities. I mean, these athletes are celebrities in their own sense also. I mean, some of these guys are bigger than basketball especially in today's NBA, the stars are the stars and they're known everywhere. But basically what it comes down to is the fans feel untouchable. They feel like they could do whatever and there's no consequences where it should be the players who are untouchable. Players should never, you know, engage with fans in any physical altercations, but mm -hmm. it's not really the players that really do it. It's, it's mostly the fans that start it. And then when the players react, well, they're supposed to be professionals. Well, when you're saying derogatory things, you're talking about my family like they're human. And the same thing that can provoke a guy like you or me, mm -hmm. disrespectful towards us, they can act in this, they can react in the same way because it's disrespectful, whether it's racism, talking about one's family, throwing stuff at them, spitting on, like, you know, where I'm from, that, that, that spitting is the number one no no. Like, that doesn't happen. You don't do that. 
if, if you know, if you spit on a guy, you just feel like either a you can beat him or it's the ultimate disrespect. So stuff like that shouldn't happen. And and they got to do a better job. I mean, you it's tough. You don't have enough staff within the organization to control the fans. But like something has to happen. And the NBA is doing a pretty good job of pretty much laying down the law, you know, uh, pressing charges, right. losing, you know, tickets being banned. Like, that'll show, like, now, you know, the fans aren't untouchable. They can't do that and get away with it and come back to a game. Oh, I'm only – I can't come back for the rest – one season. Like, you have a ban until further notice. You get charges pressed on you for spitting or throwing something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody, I think, is getting charged with, like, a tenth of an assault with a deadly weapon. Like, they consider that water bottle, you know what I'm saying, a deadly weapon. Yeah. And it's, it's not that it could kill somebody, but it could physically really harm somebody, and, it, and it's the principle. Had it not been a bottle of water and had it been a hard object, like you could have knocked the player unconscious. So I just think these fans need to get it together and like enjoy the game. And if you if you have to be that rowdy, then then watch the game from home. You know, sit sit and drink and just stay at home. But I mean, fans are rowdy. That's part of sports. But there's a you know when it comes to the players being touched and stuff thrown at them and spit in their direction. Uh, that that's. That's where it goes too far. The derogatory terms, you know, talking to somebody's family reckless, and, and that's where it goes too far. And so I think the NBA is doing a pretty good job at handling it. And, I mean, this has been going on for a while. This is the right. first time we've heard about it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of players don't speak on it either because, you know, they just they play their game and they, they be the stars. But the players should be the ones who are untouchable. The fans should, from here on out, really shouldn't feel untouchable because when fans are going to jail for throwing a – popcorn like oh it's not that harmless but when you're doing a year in jail i'm pretty sure you'll reevaluate your life and the next person will sit there and reevaluate your life or you know if you if you if you get fined you know a court fine a tremendous amount ten thousand dollars put your family in debt you know fans will start paying attention to that and they'll really think twice before they do certain things yeah absolutely man i agree 100 like you said i honestly you know can't understand why why people decide to act this way Uh, I get the quote unquote hate for other teams or players or whatever, you know, the passion being a fan brings, you know, I can get some of the chants that are being said, you know, in the arenas, but I'll never understand why people seem to always want to bring race into their comments, disrespect toward other people's families, throwing objects and food. And honestly, the craziest one to me, especially right now is actually spitting on someone like, we were just in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that killed countless people, that caused sports to stop, business to close, hospitals being over their capacity. So much happened during this time, and people think it's okay to spit on another person while there's others around. And it's it's truly disgusting behavior. And you know, just because people are getting vaccinated, there's people in the arenas, it seems to be going back to normal. It wasn't okay to do it before, and based on the times we live in now, it sure as hell isn't okay to do it now. You know, I think, like you mentioned, the players spoke perfectly about the situation, too. You know, we had Russell Westbrook, LeBron, Bradley Beal, all said similar things in terms of wanting to protect the players, and that it's not in the sense that they can't handle themselves, but these fans are doing things to elicit a response from the players, and if something were to happen, then the players get held accountable by the league, their teams, and even legal consequences can happen. So 
the same way the players are held accountable, fans should be held accountable in the same way. And they have to understand that, like you said, being in the arena is a privilege. It can be taken away. And just because you buy a ticket, no matter how cheap or expensive it is, it, it doesn't give you the right to act out because we all know that not one of these people would be willing to say or do things to these players if they saw them out in the streets. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you hit that on the head. It's like, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's just respect. Like, you wouldn't talk to me like that outside of, you know, it's just like a work environment. Somebody at work will talk to you crazy. And it's like, you wouldn't talk to me like that if we weren't on the clock right now. But, you know, they as players have to give them that pass. I have to be professional here. But if I saw you in the club or in a restaurant, you wouldn't come up to me and walk in my face and spit on me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so it is just one of those, it, like you say, it is disgusting behavior. But at the same time, I can't say it's going to stop for forever. Um, I can't, it'll probably lessen and it'll pick right back up. You know, times only get worse. So it is just one of those, like, it's not a reality that the NBA needs to live in, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like what separates the NBA from like everything else is every other sport is the fans are so close, right? You know, they're not really isolated from the fans. They're right there. They're right there at the tunnel. They're right there on court side, right next to the bench, right behind the bench. So I think, you know, if it continues, I could very well see like courtside seats will probably still happen. There's, you know, public figures, uh, you know, like in New York, you know, with uh, Spike Lee, like like you're not going to tell him he can't sit courtside. But the first few rows behind the players could be taken away. And now you won't get that experience at courtside seats or, you know, unless you're a somebody, unless you're a celebrity, you'll have to be a somebody or somebody's family to sit there and then. Fans will be a little upset because, man, nothing would be like, you know, sitting right behind those players and getting that as close to the court experience as possible. Right. Yeah, you also did mention that the league is doing a pretty good job of, you know, at least trying to control these things. Uh, Just today, Shams tweeted out that the NBA informed teams of new measures regarding fan misconduct. In addition to their bans, teams and arenas are encouraged to develop processes for pursuing law violations. The code of conduct announcement is going to be made three times during games, and there's going to be enhanced arena security deployment. So at least they are doing something a little bit more. But it is disappointing that things have to come to this, but it's for everyone's safety. And more than anything, it also sucks for people that don't do anything to begin with, and they're just there to enjoy the game. Go to a game, behave yourself, act right. Don't be acting a fool just because you're, you know, you're finally able to come out of your house and have some decency and respect. Is there anything else you'd like to add on the fans, Mo? No, I mean, I feel like we hit it all. Cool. All right, let's move on and recap some of these first round matchups. We already have a couple of teams in the second round and other series are on the verge of being over as well. Let's start with the series between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. This one was the first series to be over, and it was very surprising in my opinion. I thought it was going to be a lot more competitive. I had the Bucks winning in six, but aside from game one, none of the games were all that close. What were your thoughts on this series, and did it affect the way you see either team? Oh, man, my thoughts. I have so much thoughts, but I'm going to keep it short. You know, uh, I'm a Heat fan. Um, Yes, it does affect the way I see the Miami Heat. 
Doesn't really affect how I see Milwaukee. To me, their chances of championship contender hasn't risen. I, I've found them as one of the three teams in the Easter Conference that if any of those, they're one of the three teams that I would expect to be competing for an NBA championship. Right. Anybody outside of that would be a surprise to me. But um, this series is more like focus on the heat and like an absolute collapse. I mean, it'd be different if it was a dog fight and Milwaukee just prevailed all four games. Absolutely. But for that to be, you know, there, there's context within series and sweeps and games that end in five. Uh, series, I mean, that end in five. And this one was like, Miami didn't even look like they belonged on the floor. If you if you want me to be honest, Miami is the one team that has played in the playoffs up to this point that does not look like they deserve to be a playoff team. Right. Nobody else has disappointed me in a series in the first round than the Miami Heat, regardless of what the series are, you know, and expectations that you have for these teams. Nobody looked more undeserving of a playoff spot than the Miami Heat. For the simple fact, we're talking about the Easter Conference champions of last year. Right. Come in the first round, a rematch of a team that you took full advantage of. You knew they were going to wear their emotions on their sleeve. This was going to be revenge from the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's exactly what they got. And then some. I, I feel like Milwaukee was kind of vulnerable. I feel like, you know, Miami could have took, took advantage of Milwaukee a little bit. But it just didn't seem like they just looked all out of sync. And I don't – that's not an excuse. That's a knock on them is – their team is very similar from last year outside of losing Jay Crowder. And you can't tell me beating Milwaukee in five, losing Jay Crowder swung from winning in five to losing in a sweep in games. that I mean, Jimmy Butler didn't step up. We need, we needed him to step up. He didn't bam out of bio played horrible. Like I could go down the line. The only guy who I think there's two guys who I think played pretty decent. That's Goran Dragic and uh, Duncan Robinson. Outside of that, Miami had a poor performance night in and night out except game one and it really wasn't about Miami playing that great it was just the fact Milwaukee kind of played that bad yeah uh Giannis was 0 for 13 in game one from any shot outside of the restricted area mm -hmm. so he was shooting a lot of jumpers Miami was for Miami played great defense but offensively both teams were just horrible but it was a dog fight uh and that's kind of how you expected the rest of the series to go I had like you I had the Bucks in six um, I just felt like Miami wasn't the team from last year. And I felt like the bubble was, you know, a per a perfect setup for a team like Miami, a bunch of dogs that just get after it. No fans. Uh, last year, Miami was one of the best home teams in the NBA mm -hmm. and one of the worst away teams in the NBA, which was why that's why they were a five seed in the playoffs last year coming right. into the bubble. But I just felt like the bubble was a perfect for, for what they're really good at and what they're really bad at. It was a perfect example you know, it benefited the Miami Heat. It is, I, I say that and not, not not to take away from the Lakers winning the championship, but yeah, it was just the environment. No fans, no no traveling mm -hmm. and just get after it. And you've seen it kind of caught up to Miami um, by the finals. Obviously, Jimmy Butler was dog tired, played great. He played great. Uh, Tyler Hero made a name for himself. I think probably the most overhyped player I've probably ever witnessed. <laughs> but Miami just looked bad and, and it does look like, you know, the offseason has to – there has to be some changes. You can't go into this year or next season with the same roster and, and expect any different type of result than what you got this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree again 100%. Uh, one of the main things that I liked about the Bucks is that they didn't want to avoid the, the this Heat team this year. I think even though it was quite obvious that the Bucks were the better team, there was always – 
that doubt of how they can perform in the playoffs. This series, I think, was a huge morale booster for the Bucs. They get the revenge on the team that bounced them last year in convincing fashion and show that they are contenders in the East and that the moves that they made paid off and were actually worth it. The Bucs had an offensive rating of 118.5 throughout the series, while the Heat had a dreadful rating of 95.4, which is actually the worst mark of any team over any series over the last five years. Giannis, Middleton, and Lopez were great on both ends of the court. Uh, they were Milwaukee's leading scorers against Miami. They averaged a combined 61 points per game. Holiday, Forbes, and Bobby Portis combined to average 41 more points. And Brim Forbes in particular was phenomenal from three-point range coming off the bench. I had been saying that a lot of the Heat players, while there's always going to be this stuff about Heat culture and some of it's true, the way they were playing as a team wasn't as good as how they were last year. Individually speaking, Bam and Jimmy had better regular seasons this time around, but in comparison to the bubble, let me tell you some of their numbers for this series. In the bubble last year, Jimmy had 21 points per game on 49% from the field. He averaged 15 points per game on 31% from the field against the Bucs. Bam had 17 points per game on 54%. He had 14 points per game on 40% against the Bucs. And Tyler Harrow had 16 points per game on 45% shooting in the bubble last year. And in this series, he averaged eight points per game on 28% from the field. Obviously, we have to give a ton of credit to Milwaukee and a well-executed game plan that they had in store for the Heat. But like you said, now this raises a lot of questions for the Heat going into the offseason. There's teams in the East that are clearly better than them that aren't going anywhere. The Nets have their big three. The Bucks just signed Giannis to that huge extension. And Drew Holiday and Middleton will be there too, you know, bearing some unforeseen scenarios. So we'll definitely have to wait and to see what the front office does because there is no doubt that they need something else if they're going to compete with these other juggernaut of teams. You know, I know they got to be sick right now thinking they could have had James Harden on the team, but they opted to keep Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson instead. Yeah, that's got to be the craziest logic. I'd love to just have a sit down with Pat Riley. And when that, you know, opportunity presented himself, what in his mind thought that, you know, not trading for James Harden would be beneficial to the Miami heat. You, you know, you were the conference champions last year, um, played great in the, in the NBA finals, obviously just lost to the better team kind of expected. And then, you know, to have James Harden, that looked like, you know, had you have had a James Harden last year in the NBA finals, you possibly could have won a championship. So mm -hmm. to have that mindset and think that got a guy or guys like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson were like pieces that you didn't want to give up. That's just, it's crazy logic to me. Yeah, it's it's mind boggling, man. I, I was so surprised that Pat Riley of all people, you know, I could expect that from, you know, from someone else, but Pat Riley would give up the chance to have James Harden on the team. But is there anything else you'd like to add about the heat and or the bucks in this series? Um, no, I'm just I'm, I'm ready to see the Bucks in the second round. All right. So Milwaukee moves on and will face the Brooklyn Nets. Game one is on Saturday at the Barclays Center. But let's transition into the series that the Nets just won. And that was against the Boston Celtics. Uh, I don't think there are any surprises in the results here. I guess the one surprise is that the Celtics actually won a game quite impressive without having Jalen Brown 
and Robert Williams was hurt through the series as well. Jason Tatum did have to score 50 for the Celtics to win by single digits in that game. But what were your takeaways from this matchup? And do the Nets look as good as you thought they would in the playoffs? Um, I mean, as far as takeaways, you really hit it on the head. I feel like this series isn't – it wasn't that entertaining to me. It was as expected. And no, the Nets don't look as good as I thought they would. Their big three looks as good as advertised. Obviously, you know, Kyrie – Harden and Durant, you expect nothing but greatness from them. Anything less than that is a surprise. And that's pretty much what you got from all three of them uh, for the whole series. But what I will say is they didn't look as good as I thought, and it's the supporting cast. I mean, there was one the one game they lost. I think they had like 90 points combined uh, mm-hmm. between the big three and then 19 points from the rest of the team. That's not going to cut it against Milwaukee. That'll cut it against a depleted Celtics team that only had Kemba Walker a couple games. Obviously, we know Jalen Brown was not playing. Uh, Robert Williams was in and out of the lineup. Like, we know this this Boston team was all sorts of out of sync. So, I mean, the, the expectation this series, you know, went as expected. I mean, Boston got a game, and that's not a surprise because I said it would take like a 40- or 50-point game from Tatum to do so, and that's exactly what happened. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that they got a game because Tatum was able to give that 50-point performance. But I, I think the the it is not a knock on Brooklyn. I just feel like you can't fairly evaluate Brooklyn because they look disengaged. I mean, they just knew going out they, – they knew going into this series and just stepping on the floor they were going to beat Boston. So, there were times their big three did what they did, but that didn't mean they had to be fully engaged and – there was some defensive plays where like, oh man, Kevin Durant might've took a step back defensively. Not really. I just think he was disengaged. Like you can't knock Brooklyn, but it was just like, I don't, there's not necessarily a fair evaluation. I feel like we'll see how much business they mean, you know, in the next series, they play a real team. They play a, a, a championship contender, you know, they play pretty much the winner of that series will probably go on. So, you know, to play in the finals and represent the East. So, We'll really see uh, in that next round um, how how for real Brooklyn really is and and how much uh, that big three, the lack of playing time and chemistry they have, how much will they be affected against a team who has championship aspirations such as themselves? I would like to touch on Tatum real quick. Uh, I think he had a phenomenal season this year. At only 23 years old, he's the third youngest player with a 50-point playoff game in NBA history. It's a matter of days and months that separate them, but he's only behind Rick Barry and Michael Jordan. And he was only four points shy of the most points by a Celtic in the playoffs in NBA history. And I actually ranked Tatum number two on my 25 under 25, just behind Luka. And Tatum for me has been an absolute joy to watch. He has so much to his game. I think he's a future MVP winner, multiple time all NBA player. And I think he's going to be a future NBA champion and hopefully they can build a better team around him and actually make moves when they're needed to be made rather than holding off and trying to outsmart other teams like the Celtics have done in the past. But obviously things are already starting to shake up in Boston. As we heard today, head coach Brad Stevens is planning to transition from his current role into becoming the new head of basketball operations of the Celtics. And Danny Ainge plans to resign from his role as the Celtics president. So already an interesting offseason looming for the Celtics. But I, I would like to, you know, shout out Jason Tatum. I'm excited to continue to watch him 
grow his game. But circling back to the Nets, um, like you said, I did notice that they do look disengaged at times, but they were just so much better than the Celtics. They were probably trying at, you know, 75%, 80% at times. I don't think chemistry is going to be an issue with this team when their big three really decide to get after it. I think it's going to be really hard to keep up with them. They averaged 85.2 points in the playoffs. Katie's averaging 35, eight and three on crazy shooting splits of 56, 46, 91. Harden's averaging 26, seven and 11. Kyrie 25, seven and three. And over the five games against the Celtics, the Nets scored 128 points per 100 possessions. And that was the most efficient offense for any team in any series in the 25 years that we've had play-by-play data. And I think this is sort of the, almost the cheat code that they have. We talk so much about Brooklyn's defense because at times it's not very good and teams can score. That's why we saw, like you mentioned, the Celtics have an offensive rating of 115 against the net. And during these games, Tatum put up 50 and 40 on separate nights. However, it's very difficult, I think, to scheme for this team. The Celtics found it. It's better to play 1v1 and practically switch everything against these guys rather than trying to trap them or double or playing just a standard pick and roll defense. But then you run into the issue that you're throwing single coverage best isolation scorers in NBA history. And if you don't, you leave someone who is an elite shooter wide open for a three or there's open layups for other players. All right, so Brooklyn moves on. And as we mentioned earlier, they face Milwaukee on Saturday. We will talk a little bit more about this series towards the end of the show. But let's keep going in the Eastern Conference. We are recording this as Philly plays Washington and they lead the series three games to one. Rather than talk about the series itself, because it really hasn't been all that close, it probably would have been a sweep had this not happened. But the main thing to take away from this matchup is that Embiid is now hurt and he isn't playing game five. He had an MRI which revealed a small meniscus tear in his right knee. And the team says that he is currently day-to-day. I have no idea how he's considered to be day-to-day. At the very least, I expect him to be out the beginning part of what we can assume will be Philly against Atlanta. We'll talk more about that series later. But this changes the whole complexion of the Eastern Conference, don't you think? I mean, yeah, 100%. I mean, this was a possibility. Like I said, it was a three-headed monster over there in the – Easter conference. And if Joel Embiid is out uh partial torn meniscus, I think he's pretty much done. And, you know, they're going to say day to day with hope, but he's done. And so I just find it. Uh, I find it unfortunate for right. Philly and, you know, hopefully they end up winning game five, but man, wouldn't that be a collapse if they ended up <laughs> losing this series all because Joel Embiid went out and Washington went on a push. That'd be the first time we've ever saw that in NBA history. Yeah, realistically speaking, I think the 76ers should be able to beat the Wizards even without Embiid. Like I said earlier, he he almost had a double-double in 10 minutes, well on his way to another monster game before he got hurt. But now they have to face Atlanta or the Knicks without Embiid. They lose an interior presence and defender, obviously a phenomenal scorer as well. Like you mentioned, this is a huge blow for a team that was well-positioned to – the very least make the conference finals 
The team said that Embiid's injury will be managed with physical therapy and a certain treatment program. Whatever that is, you have to at least assume that he's going to miss a chunk of time in these playoffs and that that really impacts the 76ers. So let's hope that the injury is minor and he doesn't have to rush back to play or isn't hindered by it when he does return. But what is the prediction that you have for the remainder of the series? Man, I, I think they'll pull it out and win. Yeah, wh what do you think? You know, I, I think that Philly's going to close it out tonight. Um, I don't think they want to go back to Washington and have this pressure start mounting on them during what could be, you know, the later stages of the series. So I think that it's a close game right now. They're only up by, I think, three. Um, but I think that they should be able to close it out tonight. And, you know, like I said, I don't think they want to go back to Washington and start having to deal with, with the pressure of a team hungry to get that comeback. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Philly needs to close it out tonight for every reason you said. And for Doc Rivers' sake, I think he was wrongfully, <laughs> you know, um, I guess you could say accused of being the reason why the Clippers lost. And, of course, the coaching and adjustments plays a part in it uh, from last year. But I just close it out now and don't have to worry about that and figure out, you know, how long Joel and B really going to be out. I think he's probably going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, however long their season is. And no matter what, they still have a chance of getting to the conference finals. Right. Even without Embiid, I, I can't say I would be surprised if Philly was still able to beat the winner of Atlanta and New York in the second round. So, I mean, you got to close it out now, though. Like you said, you don't want to go to Washington uh, three to two with the pressure at game six mm -hmm. of Washington being able to tie it. They do have two deadly players in Westbrook and, and Bradley Bill, who if they get hot and know Joel Embiid, yep. you know, they could be a problem. And just imagine the pressure that guys on the Philly roster really have never faced. They're pretty young without Joel Embiid. Uh, ben Simmons, we don't know how he is under pressure. He's never really been in pressured situations. Uh, it's a lot different in a pressure of a regular season into the game to make the right play as opposed to, making the right play almost every time, minimal mistakes in the game seven. Right. So, I, you know, like you said, I think they'll close it out. They, they need to close it out because, man, that, that could stir up a lot of unwanted press their way, a lot of unwanted pressure. And, and you don't know if Philly, without Joel Embiid, has enough to, to prevail under pressure because we know – Westbrook, we know what he can do. He's a walking triple-double. He's been in tough situations. He's also folded in tough situations. But at the same time, he's been there as opposed to the guys. Philly, a lot of those guys haven't been there. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Let's move on to the last first-round series in the East, the game that is also going on while we record, and that is the Atlanta Hawks trying to close out the New York Knicks. They are currently up 3-1. to one and they will try to make this a gentleman's sweep at the Garden. Has this series been what you thought it would be, or has anything been surprising to you? Oh, it's been surprising. Oh, it's been surprising. I uh, I had the Knicks winning this series in six. Obviously, even if they were to win this series, it won't happen. It won't happen like that. Um, but the difference in this series and – 
this shows Atlanta has a superstar, the Knicks don't. And that makes a difference. As great as Julius Randle has played in the regular season, he's not a superstar. Trey Young is a superstar in the making. I mean, I guess he hasn't earned it yet, but he's right there. He's a, he's in the same conversation as Luca and Tatum. As, as far as guys who are up and coming to be, you know, the future faces of the league, the future superstars, the future top 10 players of the league. And so it makes a difference where you have a guy who can make plays like Trey Young and, you know, the Knicks don't have that. They're relying – I mean, their best playmaker – is Derrick Rose, what, three knee surgeries later? Yeah. Uh, obviously, as great as he's played, he's still not the same D. Rose. He's still not as explosive, but he's great. You know, that's what great players do. They, they figure out, you know, where their step backs are in their career, and, and they conquer those step backs and, and figure out where they got what they got to do to continue to be great. And that's what Derrick Rose has done. It's took a while, but I, I'm so happy for a guy like Derrick Rose. Uh, just because, you know, he'll be one of the biggest what ifs in NBA history. What if he had never got hurt? You know, um, he's going to be right in that conversation with Penny Harway, Grant Hill, guys of that nature, Tracy McGrady, Mm -hmm. you know, how how much the injuries affect how we look at them at the end of their career. And Derrick Rose is going to be right in that company. And those are guys who could have been great. You know, those were some all time greats talent wise. Obviously, Tracy McGrady probably had the longest career out of those guys on the what ifs but even he had back problems early which mm-hmm. hindered him from continuing to be a superstar in the league and so you look at the longevity of a lot of the guys around him you know the Kobe Bryant's Kevin Garnett's Vince Carter's and so you you kind of wonder had he never had those back problems early where he would be but I, I do think Trey Young is showing the difference between a team who has a superstar and a team who doesn't like I said, you know, props to Julius Randle, most improved player. Uh, I think you could argue that, but it just depends on how you look at most improved. Mm-hmm. I think that should be considered an individual award. We're talking about players here. We're not talking about team success. Right. Uh, just like MVP. MVP is usually the best player on the best team or the best player on one of the best teams, depending on the narrative. But most improved players should be a true individual award. And you could be the most improved player on the worst team in the league if you improve the most. Regardless of the fact, I don't think your team situation, I think the team situation is what got Julius Randle the award. He improved immensely. But if you look at his numbers, you know, his career highs up to this point, it they're not far off from what it like what it is this year. Is it that much more of an improvement than say a guy like Jeremy Grant? But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't even see the Knicks winning game five. I think they'll lose game five. And it just comes down to you know, I thought their defense, their grit was going to carry them, but it, it basically comes down to a team that that was ahead of schedule. That's what happens when you're ahead of schedule. Knicks fans will tell you they didn't expect their team to be here, you know, being better than the Miami Heat and, and competitive and, and great, you know, this year. They had a great regular season. But that's what happens when you're ahead of schedule. When your expectations are, are very low and you exceed that, it, it comes to light in, in the playoffs and, and – like I said, it's really props to Trey Young because when when a team has a definitive superstar and the opposite team doesn't, it makes a difference because those guys are the guys that you look at, and that's where where you know you look at Trey Young is like he's going to be a great future player in the league, and so you're looking at him stepping up, making the plays that's needed, having the performance that's needed. And Atlanta got a solid team. Like yeah, when you really good. look at their team as a whole, they're back healthy now, which makes a difference. I mean, Trey Young is the centerpiece, 
But John Collins started off slow. He's playing really good basketball. Clint Capella, we know he's a rebounder and a shot blocker at the, you know, a rim protector. Mm -hmm. Bogdanovich is a good shooter. uh, DeAndre Hunter is a good two-way player, not necessarily the greatest scorer, but he's a lockdown defender. So you look at Atlanta's roster, and they really good. Sometimes Lemon Pepper Lou comes off the bench and gives them a little bit of, you know, a few buckets. So it's like, you know, Atlanta has a really good team that can be really competitive. And so once, you know, when they do go on, they could give problems, you know, uh, to Philly if Philly ends up winning that series, especially because Joel Embiid is out. Yeah, I agree with all the points you just made. I had the Knicks in six as well. I probably put a little too much stock into the matchups during the regular season because it looked like Atlanta had absolutely no answer for Julius Randle during those games. Of course, DeAndre Hunter hadn't played any of those, and he's been a big part of this team's success so far. But like you mentioned, Randle has been awful this series. And honestly, had Nate McMillan put his starters in a little quicker in game two, they possibly could have won that game and swept the Knicks. I apologize, I apologize to all the fans, but it's, it's probably the truth. I don't. Don't apologize to them. They've been rowdy all year. Don't apologize to them. But yeah, that, that's one of my biggest takeaways. Uh, Randall has shot 27% from the field and 33% from three, um, averaging well below all his season averages. If the Knicks have any sort of chance of at least even extending the series, he has to come alive. Their offense already struggles a ton enough to generate points. They can't have Randall having these types of performances. They've been relying heavily, like you mentioned, on Derrick Rose, even guys like Reggie Bullock and Alec Burks to have any type of scoring punch, but it hasn't been up to par with what the Hawks have thrown out there. And on the flip side, Atlanta's offense has been clicking. Trey Young has been superb in his first playoff appearance. He's really embracing this sort of villain role in this series. Even on nights when Trey isn't shooting well, like you mentioned, he has other teammates like John Collins, who operates both inside and outside. Bogdanovich is a great three-point shooter and can create his own shot. DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella are reliable two-way players. And guys like Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Herter, and uh, Lou Williams can provide that quick scoring off the bench. So the Hawks are the deeper team. They have all the momentum, and they have a couple more chances to try and close this series out. So is your prediction, you said they lose, uh, the Knicks lose tonight? Yeah, I mean, I would would imagine that the Hawks get it done. I mean, they came in here trash talk. It's been a gritty game up to this point, obviously. But, you know, the result will come out by the time people hear this. But, yeah, I I think Atlanta closes it out, man. It's it's the, the team is healthy. Like you said, I mean, you went down the list of names, so did I, and it's like, Bro, they're deep. They're a lot deeper than people give them credit for. And and Trey Young is a true star. And this playoffs has shown, like, there's some great things that come from Trey Young, especially if he stays in Atlanta and can build a culture over there. Right. Atlanta, um, double-digit win, and then they move on to face Philly. But let's transition to the Western Conference playoffs, where we've had some confusing series, some injury-riddled series, and some explosive performances as well. So let's start at the top. We got Memphis and the Utah Jazz. Utah is currently ahead three games to one and will also look to close things out on their home court and be the first Western Conference team to move on to the second round. What have been your thoughts on this matchup? 
Memphis has played them tough. I'm going to give credit to Memphis. Um, You know, they stole a game because Donovan Mitchell didn't play. But Ja, another guy, future star of the league. Uh, Obviously, you know, first time in the playoffs, uh, second year. So, But he's a future star of the league. He stepped up to the moment. And they're just outmatched. But Memphis, I will say, Memphis has really impressed me because they didn't – they've never quit. Like, even a double-digit win that Utah had uh, the other night, they didn't quit. They were there, and they were down 12. And then next thing you know, they were down six. They made Utah fight. And so, basically, that's what you want from a team like Memphis is it's not, you know, as a fan, you always want to see your team win the series. But when you know you're outmatched and the team is just better than you, you want to see that fight. You want to see that, that promise. You want to see that that there's something to look forward to within your team in the future. And I think, you know, as long as Jaron Jackson Jr. starts the season next season healthy, John Morant continues to improve because that's what he's doing. When the lights have been the brightest these past couple of weeks, he's stepped up and has played huge. So I want to give Memphis their credit. But Utah, Utah is for real. Um, they were a team I questioned. I felt like they benefited being, you know, the, the best record. There were a lot of injuries this year that hindered a lot of teams and their success. Utah stayed pretty healthy for most of the season and were able to, you know, win games. But Utah's for real because they do. Memphis has put, you know, Memphis always has that gritty culture that, that they got that dog fight in them. We've seen them, you know, years back as the eight seed beat San Antonio when San Antonio was the one seed uh, when Mark Gasol was the star. But that's, that's just been their, you know, motive is like they do fight. They do play hard. They, they give you everything they got. And Utah has been able to, you know, be up 3-1 and have a chance tonight uh, to win game five. And I really think that, Utah has a shot, man. Utah has a shot at going to the Western Western Conference Finals, let alone the finals, man. Like, they really do have a shot. So, I've been impressed by both teams because I think Memphis's future is really bright with the young guys, Dylan Brooks, uh, Ja Morant, and Jaron Jackson Jr. I think that's a potential, you know, big three in the making that you groomed, you know, through the draft and stuff like that. So, I do think Memphis has a bright future, and I think Utah this season could have a very – successful playoff run i don't know if it results in a championship but i do think you know they they could they could reach the finals i wouldn't be surprised if i see the jazz versus the nets or the bucks in the finals i would like to point out john Morant, like you said has played great basketball in this series in just his second playoff game he already set the grizzlies franchise record for points in a playoff game with 47 points he joined Magic, Braun, and Luka as the youngest players to score 40-plus in a playoff game. And he has the second most points in his first two playoff games behind George Mikan. I absolutely love the way he's been playing. He plays at his own pace. He has a ton of patience on the ball. He waits for the right shot. And he gets his teammates involved. And if this can be the consistency that John Morant can bring, you got to watch out, man. The the kid is is special and I have to give a ton of credit to Taylor Jenkins as well for having this team buy into his system. Of course he has the Spurs DNA. They're a deep team and they have a very solid young core, like you mentioned, and they're going to be there for the future. Even though they're probably going to lose this series, I think this season was a huge success for them. Um, You said, you think it's over tonight as well? Yeah, I, I, yes, 
And, and it's going to be a dog fight like we've seen. I mean, pretty much every game has been a dog fight. Like you said, you know, they had a realistic chance, you know, besides what the end of the three minutes and it just Utah being the better team. So I think I don't see any different unless John Morant, you know, has, you know, another 45 point game or something like that, then that could change some things. But I just think, you know, Utah is going to want to end it, especially because you look at the Western conference and it's possible that, you know, their next matchup could, you know, we could be having three, the other three series in the West could go seven games. Yeah, It's very possible. End in six guaranteed, but the other three could end in seven. So, Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's over. Like I said, you know, got to give a ton of credit to Memphis for battling its way here. But in a regular year, they would have missed the playoffs. But this is an incredible experience for their young guys and their coach. Uh, these are the types of battle scars you want a young team to have moving forward. And Utah's just a better team. Conley and Mitchell have been great. You can see the difference in this team when those two guys are playing at a high level. Uh, they'll win, and they will face either the Clippers or the Mavs in the second round. So let's talk about that series now because, I mean, I don't even know what happened. I can't even describe what I saw, what I was thinking when I saw, and I just don't know what to make of this series. So I want to hear your thoughts on it first. What have you made of this Mavericks and Clippers series? Definitely maybe exactly what I thought it would be, but in opposite fashion, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not surprised that it's tied 2-2, but I'm surprised the away team won both games. Right. Uh, I very well could have seen either the home team won both games, you know, uh, the Clippers win and then the Dallas Mavs win the two at home, right. or I could have seen like a split you know, in LA and a split in Dallas, but for the, both the away teams to go, I mean, that's the trend right now. And if the trend continues, Mavs winning seven, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. We'll have to see uh, with Luca in game five. We'll probably tell how the rest of this series goes because if Luca is feeling fine, obviously with that neck injury, that nerve mm -hmm. damage, um, then if he's not okay to go, I mean, uh, Clippers in six, but if Luca's ready to go, even if Clippers win game five, but Luca has his outstanding performance and it's a dog fight, it could go seven. So, but it's been a, like I said, it's it, it's I'm not surprised that it's two to two. I'm just surprised the way it happened. Obviously, you know, the Clippers looked like they were gonna fold. I mean, it was panic mode for the Clippers after Dallas won two in LA. I'm talking about Luca looked unstoppable, looked like arguably the best player in the league up at that point. Uh, even when Kawhi Leonard had 41 and Paul George had 30 in the same game, they still lose. So it's just one of those. This is a great series. I expect game five to be great as long as Luca, uh, as long as Luca's healthy. I think this will continue to be a great series and it might go seven regardless of who wins. I don't know. I'm not ready to put a winner on it, but I will say, man, this, this could go seven and this could be an exciting game seven to close out the first round. Yeah, man, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I mean, I'm not even a Clippers fan and I was panicking for them. But yeah, after seeing the Clippers go down 0-2 at Staples and like you said, Luka just absolutely taking it to them. They look demoralized. They look unsure. And frankly, they look to be in the worst position possible going back to Dallas in that hole. Tim Hardaway Jr. was shooting a ridiculous percentage from three. Dorian Finney-Smith was too. Everything was going right for the Mavericks in the first two games. Now they went up 
30 to 11 in the first quarter of game three and they botched that lead and the Clippers came back. They won game three. Luca has that next train now, which clearly is hindering his playing. And that ultimately affects the rest of the team as well. But they also regressed back to the mean and they were obviously due for a poor shooting performance. Kawhi and PG have looked stupendous at times. Kawhi in particular. Uh, I'm not going to bash Paul George because he does other things on the court that get overlooked by his poor shooting at times. But Kawhi in these playoffs so far is averaging 33 points per game, eight and a half rebounds, two and a half threes per game on 63, 47, and 88% shooting splits and a true shooting percentage of 74.1. So crazy numbers on insane efficiency as well. I think we have to give a lot of credit to Ty Lu. He went with a smaller lineup and inserted Nick Batum in for Zubac, who had been getting cooked every time he got switched onto Luka. They just made the proper adjustments. Obviously, a little luck with Luka's injury, unlucky for the Mavericks, and now it seems like the Clippers have the advantage. Do you think these last two games are more of what we're going to see from the Clippers? Who do you think would win in that seven-game series if it goes to seven? Ah, you put it tough. I wasn't go- Do I think the, the last two games is who we expected the Clippers to be? Uh, the first two games was not. Well, if you expected the Clippers to flop, then they didn't surprise you the first two games. <laughs> um, but if you had ex- expectations that even though they're the four seed, you know, coming into the playoffs, especially, we were assuming health. You still felt like the Clippers and the Lakers were the two best teams um, in the Western Conference. It hasn't seemed that way, but the last two games, to me, says Clippers, if they continue to play like that, the Clippers will go to the finals. So if if this, the last two games in Dallas, if this is a trend upwards for the Clippers, they'll win this series, possibly in six, uh, and basically backdoor sweep. Um, the Mavs and I would very well see if this is the expectation this is what I'm going to see from the Clippers then I would imagine that they're gonna go to the finals this year yeah I agree I, I for sure overreacted to the initial losses because it, it looked bad I made a bunch of posts suggesting that you know if they flamed out in the first round that it, it was going to be a disaster they would need to blow it up Kawhi was going to leave Paul George would be traded and they just didn't fold, and they kept their composure, and they responded accordingly. My pick before the series was Clippers in five. So based on what we've seen happen, I'm going to go with Clippers in six now. Uh, if Luca's injury is going to hinder him enough to where he's you know, not superhuman, and I just think the rest of the Mavericks are going to be shooting closer to normal rather than this absurd high-volume, high-percentage games that they've had. So I think the Clippers are going to get it done tonight and they're just going to close it out in six. Let's move on now to the Nuggets and Blazers, a series that at this point can still go either way, even though Denver is up three to two. But we got to talk about Damian Lillard, man. What he did last night was probably one of the greatest performances and shooting displays I have ever seen. He scored 55 points and now has the most threes in a playoff game after breaking Clay Thompson's record. And let me tell you a little bit more about what he did last night. He now has, of course, a record for most threes in a playoff game in 12. Clay had 11. Dame also has games where he scored 10 and 9. 
He scored 55 points yesterday. The rest of the Blazers combined for 85. He shot 70% from the field, 17 of 24. The rest of the Blazers, 30 of 79. That's 38%. Dame was 12 of 17 from three-point line. That's 70%. And the rest of the Blazers were 9 of 31, 29%. Dame had 17 points in both of the overtimes. The rest of the Blazers had two points combined in both overtimes. Dame was six for eight field goals in both overtimes. The rest of the Blazers were one for 19 in both of those overtimes. Yeah, um, that was terrible. Like, <laughs> and it, I knew that, like, it was mind-boggling, all those stats, because I didn't necessarily, I knew the Blazers played bad. I didn't dive deep. Uh, like that so you throwing that out there kind of threw me off a little bit threw me off track but it's going to put me right back on track because (laughs) I'm going to tell you this is going to remind you that game last night reminded me of a certain game what was this three years ago 2018 game one of the NBA finals LeBron James 51 (laughs) points loses that doesn't happen that that's not supposed to happen when LeBron scored 51 and they lost that game, they could have stole one from Golden State. What was everybody saying? LeBron need help, but LeBron need to get up out of there. Right. And is, is it not the same for Dame? Now, granted, that supporting cast from Portland overall is still better um, than that supporting cast from LeBron of that year. But still, either Dame needs help but I'm going to be honest, Dame isn't going to get the help he needs in Portland. No. And I know he's all about loyalty and it's not about ring chasing, but he doesn't have to join LeBron to win a championship. Dame is that box office. He's that cold. A team who's right there, a team who's right there. And there's, there's plenty of teams Dame could go to who's right there that he could take them over the top and win a championship. Um, you know, and obviously the Lakers, the Clippers, the Heat, uh, God, if he ever went to the Bucks, that would be ridiculous. Oh, man, that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the Celtics, like there's some teams he could go and it's not about ring chasing because he could go to some teams that haven't won a ring in a while. They right. don't have a player who has won a ring in a long time and go win a ring and go beat those guys who are teaming up that have won championships or are seeking championships with other previous champions. So I think Dame needs out and he's he's a very humble guy. He talks his noise respectfully and rightfully so but he's a humble guy he's loyal to portland he loves the city of portland uh in the state of oregon and what they've done for him ever since you know they've done the best they can being in the pacific northwest obviously like when you talk about west coast teams they're a team that get really gets lost if it wasn't for dame uh especially these past few years you wouldn't really watch portland like that you know if they don't have a star player you don't really watch portland Right. Uh, you don't really care to stay up late and watch Portland. I mean, you're on the West Coast, so it's a little bit different for you. You know, a 1030 game on the East Coast is a 730 game for you. Yeah. So, you know, you just ate dinner, sit down and watch some Dame Lillard, um, no matter who he's playing. But a lot of people don't really get to see Dame. They see his numbers. They see his highlights. And, and now he's finally getting the respect he deserves. But a guy like Dame cannot let pride stop him from winning a championship. Like a guy like Dame deserves a championship because everybody else who is like him or a little bit under him has won one. Um, Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, like those guys in that same conversation as Dame 
or whether better or right under, you know, I think Steph, Dame, and Kyrie are the three best point guards in the NBA today, uh, right now. And those guys have championships. Uh, Kyrie won one. I know he played with LeBron. Steph Curry won three. And I think a guy like Dame, who was that great, deserves a championship. And I think the only the, I won't say the easiest way because it, it makes Dame's not going to take the easy way out. But the only way that happens is if you know. If they were able to lure a Kawhi Leonard over to Portland, which I very seriously doubt, thinking. exactly. Like I don't, I don't think that's you know Kawhi to leave LA. It has to be truly attractive, and I think the only two spots that would be like Hollywood enough for him would be South Beach or New York, uh, for him to actually pick up and leave from the Clippers if they don't win a championship this year. Because right. if they make a deep run or something, I think Kawhi will stay. But you know he is a pending free agent. So it's possibility that he could move. But I think Dane, you know, needs to ask out. Like, I don't think C.J. McCollum is going to be a good enough trade piece to get him what he needs. I mean, you might be able to add a little bit of an upgrade over C.J. McCollum, but we're talking about that might be the best backcourt in the NBA. I mean, outside of what, Harden and Kyrie, Mm -hmm. that might be the best backcourt in the NBA. So we, we, Dane got to, he got to go, he got to go get him his, he got to, he got to go get this for his legacy because Dame is too good of a player to be that guy who he's one of the best players to never win a championship. You see James Harden did it. Don't go about it the way, you know, don't handle business the way James Harden did. Right. But Dame deserves a championship. I, I love Dame Lillard. I want to see him get him a championship. And I just think the only way is out. And, you know, I hate to say it, but he's not going to win a championship over there because there's plenty of destinations over in that Western Conference that got better things going as an organization than Portland does outside of Dame. Um, and also, you know, it just come down to destination. Like, would you rather play in L.A. or Portland? Would you rather play in, you know, uh, I mean, you might even rather play in Utah than Portland, to be <laughs> honest with you. Like, uh, so I think Dame is going to – I think he needs to ask out because he's not going to win anything there. I mean, he went to the a conference finals before and – we kind of seen how that went. But other than that, man, he's they're not going to get over the hump because they're not going to be able to bring adequate enough help. They're going to be too good to be in a draft lottery. So they're never going to bring a, a great young guy. You're not going to get no Cade or Jalen Suggs or nobody like that to Portland. Right. And I just don't think CJ McCollum will have enough value uh, in a trade package to be able to really adequately upgrade your second best player from CJ. I just don't see who they would trade for that is an adequate, like, yeah, he's a major upgrade and he's going to help take Portland to the next step. So a uh, next level. So I love Dame, but that game last night is, you should have the same reaction. I'm a LeBron fan and I had a hey, LeBron got to get out or he got to get help. And he ain't going to get no help in Cleveland. Ain't nobody coming to play in Cleveland, especially at that time. LeBron was like 34. Uh, right. We didn't know how much, how great LeBron would be. Didn't know if he'd win another championship, but I think Dame is the same way. Like, man, ain't nobody coming to Portland, bro. You got you got to get up out of there and win you a championship, bro. You're too great to have that, you know, kind of like AI. Like, you're too great, bro, to have that term of greatest player. You know, one of the greatest players we've ever seen and ever win a championship, bro. Go get you a championship. It's out there for the taking, and there's plenty of teams you could go play for that would love you, could use you, and it wouldn't be considered ring chasing. It would be like, yes, I'm going here because they give me the best possibility to win a championship. There's difference in ring chasing because he wouldn't necessarily just be joining a top three player in the league right now. Literally, when you said Kawhi, that's that's exactly who I was thinking. I was like, 
imagine if Kawhi and Dame were playing together. Would you would you make that swap? Like, say Portland called up the Clippers and were like, you know, Dame for Paul George, you know, and whatever, you know, straight up. Would you make that trade if you're the Clippers? I'd make it if I'm the Clippers. I wouldn't make it if I'm Portland. Last series that we had. Paul George isn't enough. Like, if you – yeah, Paul George isn't enough. Like, if if I'm giving up my star player, yes, Paul George will probably be the best that you would get for Dame. Like, if you're trying to get rid of Dame, because people, but it's not enough, man. That's going to cost the Clippers don't have what it takes to get Dame Lillard, even with Paul George. They just don't have a big enough package because Portland's not going to want to give up. They they're going to want to rebuild if anything. And and the Clippers already gave up like all their draft picks to get yeah. Paul George. So they can't even adequately start a rebuild. But if I'm the Clippers and and the Blazers called and said, hey, PG for Dame Lillard, bro, I will not let you even attempt to get a uh, done deal. Like, bring them here, you know, Dame and Kawhi, and then they'd be able to get somebody, one of those role high-caliber role-playing free agents. It is L.A. It's the Clippers, not the Lakers, but it is L.A. And, man, it would be attractive to play for two dogs, like, you know, play with two dogs like Dame and Kawhi. Yeah, I think I think they would complement their each other's games really well. But yeah, last night watching Dame, every time he shot the ball, I literally thought it was going in. They they should have won that game. His teammates spoiled and all-time great performance from him. Covington missed two dunks. CJ stepped out of bounds. Simple mistakes like that really cost them the game um, and the lead in the series. We also have to talk about their defense. Because with Dame, they can score with absolutely anyone. But when Nurkic is on the court, they have a 107.1 defensive rating plus 19 net rating. With Cantor on the court, they have a, they have a 143 defensive rating, a minus 31.2. So the Blazers have outscored the Nuggets by 20 points with Nurkic and have been outscored by 31 with, count, with Cantor per 100 possessions. So I talked about it in the preview where it would literally come down to Jokic and Dame. Nurkic is one of the best bigs to play Jokic, except he fouls out a ton. And usually there's at least half a quarter left in the game when he fouls out. Jokic last night had 38, 11, 9, and 4. And he's currently averaging 32, 11, and 4 on 52% shooting in the series. So it's going to come down to who who can stop either one of Dame or Jokic? We have to remember that the Nuggets are severely diminished in the backcourt. They've been able to have Monte Morris play a bit more, but they don't have Jamal Murray. They don't have Will Barton or PJ Dozier. And they have gone solid production from Composo and Austin Rivers. They just obviously cannot guard Dame. And similarly with Jokic, once Nurkic is out of the game or with foul trouble, there is absolutely no one to slow Jokic down. So I'm going to stick with my pick of Blazers in seven. I trust Dame. I think if he gets even just a little bit of help from his teammates, not much, just some, they'll be in good shape. But who do you have winning the series now? Oh, the Nuggets. They'll, they'll win the series. I mean, it, it gets pretty depleting and depressing when a guy scores 55, does everything he can. And because of, you know, the lack of help from his teammates down the stretch, can't win the game. And I still think Dane might come out and drop another 40-piece. But I just, you know, the Blazers show last night, you can't ask from anything more from Dame. So, you know, and they still couldn't get the job done.
And have in the Western Conference is the Phoenix Suns against the Los Angeles Lakers. The Suns are currently up three games to two. The Lakers got absolutely blown out last game, losing 115 to 85. They were held to 35% from the field and 34% from three-point territory en route to just scoring 10 points in the second quarter and being down by 30 at halftime. Now, in this series, we've, we've seen a little bit of everything. Chris Paul hurt his shoulder at the beginning of the series and just re-injured his shoulder last game, and the Suns still managed to win the first game. Uh, the Lakers bounced back as we all expected them to, but then they began taunting and really thinking highly of themselves after going up two games to one. In game four, AD hurts his groin, and all of a sudden, they lose at home, get completely blown out in game five, and now they are on the verge of elimination going back to Staples. What has been your reaction to this series? Do you think the Lakers can possibly win both games without AD? And would it be foolish to play him in game six? Uh, so I'll answer the shorter question. Uh, would it be foolish to play him in game six? Yes, it would be. But at the same time, a 65-70% AD will still be more effective than no AD. You've seen what happened. And I think, you know, I hate to say it, I'm a huge LeBron fan, so I've been, I'm rooting for the Lakers. And even in game five, I had hopes that, like, LeBron could prevail. He showed us time and time again. But I think at this point, LeBron just doesn't – he's – I think LeBron is the greatest player of all time. So to say this for a guy at year 18, there's nothing wrong with that. I think LeBron just cannot carry the load like he used to. Right. I don't think he could carry the load like he used to. And so the expectation for him to be able to do that, he showed he couldn't do it. And it's not a knock on him. I mean, the LeBron haters and the people who don't want to see LeBron be great is going to say they're going to kill him for it. But it's like he's in year 18. Father Tom is undefeated. Like that doesn't mean he can't be great. But like maybe LeBron is at a point at year 18 at 36, 37 years old that he can't be the best player on the championship team. And that's OK, because I still think LeBron will probably, you know, start his decline next season. And he'll still average about 23, 24 points, seven, eight assists, six or seven rebounds. And that's a decline. That's MVP stats for most everybody else in the league besides like LeBron, Giannis, and KD. Anybody else average that and on a winning team, they those are MVP numbers right there. So I still think his decline, you'll see, you know, he's not, he's not capable of averaging 27, 28. Consistently throughout the season, we've only seen him score more than 40 once this season. And right. that's not something that we're accustomed to seeing. And it's okay. Like, it sucks because I'm a LeBron fan. And, like, to see that maybe, you know, the end is near. And the end is near could be three years from now. It could be after next season. You know, right. he could sit here in the offseason, reevaluate, and say, you know what, bro, I got one more year. I mean, it's going to be my goodbye tour. I want to go out on top. I want to be able to really hoop. I, I want the love, but I really want to be able to hoop in my last year. And may maybe he calls it quits. Goes out, you know, maybe doesn't go out in a uh, – in the blades of glory, as you would say, like Peyton Manning did or like Drew Brees attempted to do and win the championship. Right. But I think it's just, you know, it's kind of the decline of LeBron. And like I said, it's okay. I mean, we're talking about a guy who he looks like he might now be old at year 18. You know, now we're looking like, oh, my God, LeBron might not can average 30-point triple-doubles anymore. But he still could give me 23, 24 consistently. So he's still going to be a great player. 
Uh, I think going into next season, I, I don't think I would be able to, based off what I've seen, and, and he is coming off of injuries, so that does make a difference. Right. He's 36, uh, finally having injuries at a groin two years ago. Obviously, coming off a sprained ankle, I think it's still hindered him. He might not be 100%. So it's not, you can't fully cancel LeBron on his decline yet uh, because he could come back 100% next year and be fully healthy and still show us, oh, my God, here comes the freak of nature once again. But Father Tom is undefeated, and it is going to catch up to LeBron, and maybe it's time now that it's just catching up to him, and it's okay. He's going to go out on top, one of the greatest players to ever do it. I think he's the GOAT, but. You know, that's always debatable. Always will be a debate. There'll never be a clear-cut GOAT, uh, no matter what. Depends on your era and how you love, enjoy, and look at the game. But, yeah, I, I just think you you could be, and I don't want to say you are, but you could be seeing the slight decline of LeBron, and the slight decline for LeBron is still will still be MVP stats for, you know, 95% of the league. But And Phoenix playing doing a really great job. I mean, Aiton playing really good. Obviously, Devin Booker stepping up. You know, the, the the moments haven't been too big for him. And a lot of those guys, it's the first time they've played in the playoffs. So you right. thought, like, experience with the Lakers would overcome whatever deficiencies they have of guys not being 100%. You just thought experience would catch up uh, against Phoenix. But I, I can see the Lakers winning in seven, but I, I'll probably – I'll go with Phoenix wins this series in uh, – the King finally gets dethroned in the first round for the first time in his career, which people are going to come on, you know, skip Bayless, who I just cannot stand <laughs> going to come on and kill LeBron for saying that his record after, if he gets knocked out in the first round this year, his record in the first round will be 14 and one. The first time he ever got knocked out in the first round will be in year 18, but it'll be good. It'll be looked at as, He's trash and he can't do it anymore. He ain't nobody as opposed to God. That guy's been great for so long. And I can't believe it's taken this long for anybody to knock him out in the first round. Yeah, no, I think we have such high expectations of LeBron that literally anytime he does something wrong, it's, it's always cause for panic and attention and criticism, but you know, a smart man never bets against LeBron or the Lakers, but I don't think they win without the offensive punch that AD provides. LeBron, I think, has been a little bit too passive, in my opinion. I think he needs to start being more aggressive. Uh, Drummond has been a non-factor. Shooter, did, Shooter didn't make a single shot last game. KCP was limited. He didn't score. Markeith Morris made his first shot and then practically disappeared. I think they absolutely need to play Kuzma, Tucker, and Montrez a little bit more. But if AD is not 100%, I don't think the Lakers win. And I think it would be absolutely foolish to play him knowing he's not all right groin strains are tricky we saw how long LeBron was out on uh, when he hurt his his first year with the Lakers and ultimately with 80s injury history I personally wouldn't want to risk it so I'm going to go with Suns in seven I think LeBron puts on a vintage performance in game six to save them but it takes too much out of him and the Suns have a deeper team at this point so they take it in seven so before we wrap up the show we have a matchup that is already set and that is the Bucks versus the Nets Giannis against KD, Drew against Kyrie, and Middleton against Harden. Give me your prediction and who you think is going to be the X factor of this series. Bucks and six. Uh, the X factor is Drew Holiday. He's been the X factor for the Bucks. Unless were we talking about game one? No, no, just the series. The series. Okay, Bucks and six. And Drew Holiday is going to be the X factor. Like I said, he's been the X factor for the Bucks all year long. That trade that they made. It seemed a little crazy at first because it seemed like they gave up a lot, but 
the impact he's had on Milwaukee and their success, I think Drew Holiday is the X factor. And it's not about the expectations of he has to score 30 points a game, but he just has to continue to have the same effect on the Bucks' offense and defense that he's had up to this point. And he just has to continue to play consistent. Like we know Drew Holiday could do. And if he does that, and obviously the superstars are going to shine in this series, you're going to hear Giannis with great performances, KD, Kyrie, Harden. Uh, but I think Drew Holiday becomes X factor because I even think Chris Middleton has established himself as like a bona fide, you know, should be a consistent all-star. So I think the expectation will be out of those six players, Drew Holiday is probably number six on almost everybody's list, but I think he'll have the biggest hold because you know what you're going to get from those other five guys. You know, you have expectations where for Drew Holiday, you just expect them to play hard, play good, play consistent, run the offense. And he's been doing that at a very high level. So if he continues to do that at a high level, I got the Bucks in six. All right, I'm going to go Nets in seven. I think this series goes no less than six games. I think Harden's going to be the one to take over this series. If they play the same ISO game like they did against the Celtics, it'll be harder, of course, because the Bucks are better equipped. But I think he's going to be the guy that leads the Nets in the series. We are absolutely in store for more electrifying matchups and performances as the playoffs continue. And I'm super excited to continue covering all of them. But that is all we have today for the All the Hype podcast. Before we take off here, is there anything you want to plug for the listeners, Mo? Uh, yeah, if you you know, like like he said, uh, like Brian said in the beginning, you know, uh, listen, go check out Up in Flames wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, uh, whatever. Go to OffTheBallNetwork.com. Go check out all the great work from everybody. We've come in with a lot of articles. A lot of great things are coming. And also, you know, if you know, download Dash Radio and and download uh, the Nothing But Net channel. We got guys who have shows on there, but we also have. Um, we do the 2K League show for the NBA 2K League, the official, you know, post-game show for the NBA 2K League. Me, Chris, uh, well, both the Chris's, Bolton and Chris LeBron, Edgar and Jelani uh, got a nice little crew over there. And we, you know, Wednesday through Saturday at the conclusion of the last 2K League game, we go live on air on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. So make sure you go check that out, man, um, and, and continue to support. Make sure if you're supporting his podcast right now and hearing it, continue he, he's on a mission he's growing and bro i appreciate you for having me on yes sir you guys know what to do go listen to the up in flames podcast available everywhere check it out on all social media platforms as well stay tuned for upcoming episodes and for other content brought to you by mo murphy and the rest of the crew i appreciate everyone for tuning in once again check out the off the ball network for all your sports needs we have the best content out there so please check us out and support Please keep supporting the All the Hype podcast. Listen, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Listen and follow on Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at All the Hype Pod. Thanks again, everyone. Take care. Peace.